This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So my girlfriend and I spent two years driving around the United States and Canada. We're both Australian. Our rule was pretty much find somewhere cool to stop, pull over, 
relax and enjoy the nature and the freedom of our travel. We never really had any bad times during this whole experience, except this one time. So we are staying at this little rest area on the coastal border between Oregon and Washington. It was beautiful, right beside the ocean, sea otters on the rocks, cool sea breeze blowing through our van windows, and the sound of chill water lapping against the rocky shore. Very peaceful. We went back into town after the sun had set to grab a pizza or something and returned to a now empty car park. Whatever. We are used to this. Not a problem. We were just hanging out, watching shows on my computer and listening to the chill nothingness outside. It gets to about 10 p.m. and I decide to call it a night. As I am falling asleep, my girlfriend looks out the window and now notices a red ute pickup truck at the furthest end of the car park, like 50 meters away. There's a ute down there, she says. I acknowledge this, but don't really care, ha-ha. It drives away after sitting there for around 10 minutes. Five minutes later, it returns, but a couple of park spots closer. That cars is back now, I'm in the edge of sleep. Eyes closed. Brain now switching off the last switches of awakedom. All I can muster is a grunt. Ten minutes pass. Car leaves. Car comes back. This time closer again. My girlfriend now wakes me up and explains what is happening. I look through our windows to see a very beaten up red ute canopy on the back with completely blacked out windows. Now I'm feeling a little weird. I watch the car sit there, completely still and silent for another ten minutes before it drives away only to return once again. Moments later, it is now maybe two car spaces away. We're watching this car presumably watching us. It is about 11, 11.30 on a Wednesday night in a semi-lit car park in a foreign town in a foreign country. Being Australians, this dude probably has a gun exchanges back and forth between my girlfriend and I. This guy had parked so close that as soon as his door would open, he would more or less be at our van before we could even get out of our bed, which is built in the back of the van. Fifth this. I get out of my bed and crawl to the driver's seat all while staring at his blacked out, almost driverless windows, get to the driver's seat and got the F out of there, zoomed across the bridge and slept in the car park of a Fred Meyer. Just the fact that the fella kept parking closer and closer in an otherwise vacant car park, F man. I took a deep breath as I stood at the entrance of the newly discovered cave system. As a park ranger, I was no stranger to adventure, but this mission felt different. Our team, composed of fellow rangers and a group of experienced spelunkers, was tasked with exploring and mapping the extensive caverns beneath the national park. As we descended into the darkness, the air grew cooler and more oppressive. Our headlamps cast eerie shadows on the cave walls, revealing breathtaking stalactite formations that had taken millennia to form. The spelunkers led the way, expertly navigating the treacherous passages and guiding us deeper into the heart of the cave system. As we ventured further, we stumbled upon something none of us could have anticipated a horrifying, previously unknown species of crawlers that had evolved in the darkness. 
These creatures were unlike anything we had ever encountered with pale, translucent skin, elongated limbs, and razor-sharp teeth. They were territorial and aggressive, stopping at nothing to protect their subterranean habitat from the intruders who dared to enter. With each passing moment, our situation grew more desperate as the crawlers closed in on us. We were forced to rely on our training and instincts to navigate the treacherous caverns, doing our best to evade the vicious creatures that hunted us. Time was running out, and we knew we had to find a way to escape this subterranean nightmare before it was too late. Through sheer determination and a stroke of luck, we managed to find a narrow passageway that led back to the surface. As we scrambled out of the cave, our hearts pounding with relief, we were met by two men dressed in black suits, their expressions stern and unyielding. You must keep silent about what you've seen down there, one of the men warned, his voice cold and commanding. Those creatures are government property, and we cannot allow their existence to become public knowledge. The weight of their words settled heavily upon us, but we knew we had no choice but to comply. This happened about 16 years ago, and I still don't know how to wrap my head around it. So, my right friend and I were sitting on my brother's bed watching TV, just chatting and hanging out. My brother had a box of metal by pellets on the bed. We didn't bother moving because he had his stuff everywhere. While we were hanging out, my big German shepherd, Guinness, came running into the room playfully and jumped up onto the bed causing the box of bee pellets to flip over and scatter everywhere. I still remember the sound of them hitting the hardwood floor. However, as this was happening, it was as though time reversed, literally rewound, and my dog ended up back on the floor as if he jumped down backwards, and all the baby pellets reversed back into the box. Even Guinness had a look of confusion on his face, and he ran out of the room. When we looked down, there were absolutely no pellets on the ground, and the box was closed and secure on the bed. My friend also remembers this in vivid detail. Otherwise, I would probably convince myself it was a weird dream, but we both experienced it and re remember it all these years later. I haven't spoken about these events to anyone since they've happened to me over a decade ago, honestly closer to 15 years. I am now a 30-year-old man, and what I experienced in Red Ash, Carryville, Tennessee, happened to me when I was about 15 or 16 years old. Red Ash is a small area off Interstate 75 running through Campbell County, Tennessee, the county where I was born and raised and still reside in now. Red Ash was established over a hundred years ago as a little mining province, but is now defined as the land between Red Ash Cemetery and Red Ash Baptist Church off of old Tennessee Highway 60. Free and if you go googling it, you'll see that it has a reputation of arguably being one of the most haunted places in Tennessee, from ghosts of miners, goatmen, and even murdered witches. If you read long and deep enough, you'll see there's lots of strange happenings around this area.
But I'm not here to tell you I saw a seven-foot-tall man with the head of a goat and hooven feet standing at the base of a train track, tussle. But what I saw I still to this day can't explain. About 15 years ago, a few friends and I, one guy who was a couple years older than myself and two lady friends of ours, were driving around one Saturday night looking to find something to get into in our small, quiet town. So naturally, of course, we came to the conclusion to do what all the teenage kids do that grow up in our county. We decided to go to Red Ash and test some of the legends, and boy, are there are a lot of them. But those are stories for a different page. This one isn't about urban legends. This is about what I actually saw. We went to a set of train tracks that if you park on and turn your vehicle off that, somehow the car will start to rock and gently roll off the tracks. That didn't work for us. So we decided to head up the road to the cemetery to tell ghost stories. On the ride to the cemetery, one of the girls with us said her grandpa had told her on one of the unnamed dirt roads in Red Ash is an old abandoned graveyard where a lady was murdered and buried almost 200 years ago for supposedly being a witch. We thought, what the hell, and decided to go looking for this graveyard to see if we could find the unmarked grave. We turned down one dirt road barely wide enough for my friend's small car and drove down it for a few minutes, when all of a sudden we're hit with blue lights behind us. And when I say all of a sudden, I mean it. Now, mind you, it was around midnight and pretty dark out, but we didn't see headlights or anything trailing behind us. Just a burst of blue police lights. My friend pulls off the road as much as possible, and the cop pulls behind us and gets out of his cruiser and walks to the door. My friend already has his window down. It's late July and 80 degrees at night with no air conditioner in his car, and he is waiting to be asked for his license and registration. The cop doesn't ask for he walks up and looks through the rolled-down window at my friend and says, You guys shouldn't be here. It's dangerous and a bad place. Please leave. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but hearing a cop say shouldn't and please isn't normal. Usually, we hear can't and now. But that's what he said, and it threw my friend off, and he kind of stammered for words before the cop repeated himself, Please tell me you'll turn around. You shouldn't be here. It's dangerous. This time, though, my friend said yes, sir, and the cop just turned around and walked back to his car, turned off his lights, and drove around us, continuing on the road. That's when I noticed he wasn't driving one of the Tahoes or Chargers they typically drove, but a Crown Vic, and an old Crown Vic, an early 80s square-body Crown Victoria car. It was so bizarre, but we didn't think much of it then. We just decided to head straight and follow him and turn around when he did. We followed him for a few seconds up until he went up the hill on the dirt road and went around a curve. Once we got up there past the curve and we noticed he was gone, couldn't see any signs of his vehicle or anything. He wasn't pulled over off the road, so we thought he might have been more familiar with the road and must have sped up to get to the end of it. So we followed the road for a couple more miles, no sign of the cop anywhere, until we got to the end of the road, and it ended in a dead end. The cop was still nowhere to be found. 
No signs of him passing us pulling off the road, which was barely wide enough for him to pass us while we were pulled off it earlier. And there were no roads connecting to this old dirt road. So many little weird things happened, and honestly, I still don't know what I saw or how to explain it. All I can say is that things are weird up there around Red Ash, and even now, I, I still listen to that cop. It's dangerous up there, and I stay away from it. I take a weekly sunset hike through Griffith Park in Los Angeles. Always take the same fire road out after the sun goes down. No flashlight because I know the road well and there's some ambient light from the city. One night, as I'm walking down a straight portion of the road, I see the silhouette of a person walking toward me up the road, maybe 500 feet ahead. I don't think anything of it and gaze out over the city for a moment or two. When I look back, the person is gone. I get a bit of an odd feeling, but figure there are probably a number of logical reasons why I don't see the person anymore. I keep walking and come up to a familiar landmark on this stretch of the road, a garbage can. Next to the garbage can, however, is a rather large lump ball-like thing that I don't remember ever seeing before. I start to feel a little more odd or suspicious. I'm staring directly at this lump as I walk past and I can feel the weight that exists when something is aware of your presence. I rationalize that it's just a big rock I hadn't noticed in the past and keep moving. I continue another two, three hundred feet down the road and look back over my shoulder. I see the silhouette of the same person, now walking up the road away from me. The next time I'm on the road, I take a minute to examine the area around the garbage can and can't find anything that resembles the lump I saw that night. The only explanation I can think of is that the person saw me coming down the trail, hunched over by the garbage can as I passed and got up to continue once I was a good distance away. I don't know if the person was afraid of me or if I should have been afraid of it, My father and a few friends of his used to go out to a ranch in Nevada that was hours away from any human contact to go shooting. Me and my younger family always talked of someday going on our own, and they advised against it. Four years ago, me and two of my cousins and my brother go on our own in a Subaru out back in a Ford F-250 to the spot and found a huge broken-down brick house with a pool about 30 by 50 foot. We hard heard from my father that the owner of the house used to be a drug dealer from Mexico that my family knew and his house was blown up by some competitors and the family fled. We set up camp in it and slept that night. The following morning, we all wake up to go shooting and drove around for a good spot. As we drove, we spotted the ranch my father spoke of in the distance and someone waving at us from the front of the house with four others sitting around the side, cooking something. We waved back and kept going. We finally found a spot that had a hill to shoot it a bit farther away. After we were done, me and my brother went up the same hill to get a view of the area and we saw some clothes and a blanket and went to check it out to find out it was a body that was out in there for a long time. 
We ran back to the group and got out of there as fast as possible. As we drove back to the main road and down to the city as fast as possible, we all started to get reception again with my brother and my phone getting massive amounts of text. It was from my dad and some of his friends. I called my dad and told him what happened, and he said not to call the cops or go back to the ranch. The people who waved at us were drug dealers who took over the house, and the body was most likely some old competition that got rid of him and took over the ranch. My brother did eventually call the cops, but they never found anything there. My name is Jake, and as a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park, I'd grown accustomed to the unpredictable nature of the wilderness. However, nothing could have prepared me for the bizarre series of events that were about to unfold. It all began when I was called to investigate a string of strange occurrences within the park. I set out on my own, my curiosity piqued by the reports I'd received. As I ventured deeper into the forest, I stumbled upon a mysterious ancient artifact. The object was unlike anything I'd ever seen, and it seemed to emanate an eerie energy that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. As I cautiously examined the artifact, I inadvertently unleashed a powerful supernatural force. This energy surged through the park, transforming the local wildlife into horrifying hybrid creatures. A monstrous Bigfoot-like beast emerged from the shadows, its eyes filled with a terrifying intelligence. A snarling werewolf stalked the underbrush, its fangs glistening in the moonlight. Skin-crawling crawlers scuttled through the trees, their movements unnervingly fast and silent. These once familiar creatures had become unknown predators, threatening the very balance of nature within the park. I knew that I couldn't face this threat alone, so I quickly contacted my fellow park rangers. Together we set out to uncover the artifact's origin and find a way to return the creatures to their natural state. As we delved into ancient texts and consulted with experts in the field, we discovered that the artifact was the key to both unleashing and reversing the supernatural force. With time running out, we devised a plan to neutralize the energy and save the park. Our mission was fraught with danger as we faced off against the deadly predators. We relied on our training, resourcefulness, and unwavering determination to see us through the harrowing ordeal. In the end, we managed to perform the ritual necessary to reverse the transformation, using the artifact as the conduit for the energy. As the supernatural force dissipated, the creatures reverted to their original forms, their monstrous features fading away. Exhausted but relieved, we returned the artifact to its resting place, ensuring that it could never again unleash the terrifying power it held within. We vowed to keep the events that transpired a secret, protecting both the park and the world from the knowledge of the supernatural force that had nearly tipped the scales of nature into chaos. After reading some of your experiences, I wanted to share my own to see if I could get your opinions on what me and my family saw in the Black Hills of South Dakota. 
About five years ago, when I was 17, I visited some of my family who lived in South Dakota and worked there for the summer. After about a month, my brother, sister, and her husband decided to do what Americans do best and go shoot guns in the woods. I had to work an evening shift, so it was decided we'd go after, around 10 p.m. Once my shift ended, we went to their house to pack up the truck with some snacks, guns, and ammo. The drive took around 45 minutes, and it took us up a dirt road surrounded by trees and tall grass. Eventually, it opened up into a clearing that was pretty open and flat. The nearest tree line was about one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 100 feet away. It was pretty dark, but the clearing was lit up by the truck's headlights. I kind of felt uneasy, but I chalked that up to just being in the woods at night. For the first 20 minutes, nothing really happened. We were just setting up plastic bottles in those plastic gallon buckets you'd get water out of at an office. There was a feeling of being watched that we all felt. The area suddenly reeked of spoiled eggs. Those of you who have shot guns know they can smell, but even since going the military, no amount of guns and explosions have smelt this bad. We looked around to see if we could see the source, and what I saw I can still vividly remember to this day. What I saw was a thin humanoid figure crouching down, looking at us. Even while crouching down, it was still about six feet in height. When I say this figure was thin, I mean skin and bones barely do it justice. The even weirder thing about this was we all saw the figure in different spots in the tree line, but we all described the same features. Tall, thin, had long, dark hair. We quickly packed up what we could and left. The feeling of dreading felt that day will forever haunt me. Since then, my brother mentioned the area might have been in native territory, but I don't know how, if that's true. Every once in a while, I think back on that day, and I look up different stories and encounters people have in woods, but nothing quite resembles what I saw that day. I was hiking down to the beach with two mates. We came across a sign that advised not to proceed down to the rocks as it was quite steep and it was easy to get trapped out there once the tide came in. After watching the sunset at taking some pictures, two of us were into photography. We saw someone coming our way with high vest shirt on. 
We were a little concerned, as we thought it might be a ranger coming to tell us that we weren't supposed to be there. We noticed when he got a little closer that things were a bit off, however. His shirt had symbols and markings on it that had been drawn in permanent marker. He had a weird look in his eye as though he was a bit unstable. He came up to us and asked if we had seen any caves in the area. We advised that we hadn't. He then sat down with us. We weren't really sure what to do, so all four of us just sat in silence for about 30 minutes or so. We could tell he was unstable and didn't want to risk setting him off. Eventually, he, he said so, how you boys doing? We replied, good. You, to which he said, yeah, better now and then, got up and walked back the way he'd come. This story was told to me by an uncle. He is a park ranger in Ontario. He frequently comments on his work being relatively calm after pandemic, mostly because there are fewer tourists. However, he still has to go out in the wilderness and check on his stuff. One day, he had to go through the woods with a colleague, and there were reports of people hanging around without permission. Nothing unusual, just some visitors who are just mean teenagers. Sometimes the issue with these reports was that there were numerous sightings of people carrying all sorts of luggage like axes and animal skulls. Just weird stuff. People can be pretty racist in these parts. It's possible these are the Algonquin people. After all, this is their land. Like imagine unhinged people worshipping Odin in the cold wilderness of modern-day Canada... Aside from whatever occult stuff they were pulling up, according to my uncle, you can find many loons, madmen, and weird people in the wood. There was a word of bonfires, and it was what truly worried the rangers. Nobody was in the mood to deal with a fire in the middle of a health apocalypse, especially considering the past events in California and the Amazonian jungle. Like Canada, surely it is cold, but nobody wanted to see mass fires provoked by mad people. So they hiked across the wilderness and saw all the normal things. They checked on the state of the trails, if the seasonal animals were doing fine, the state of vegetation and that sort of stuff. The further they advanced, the more they began to find strange things, odd symbols carved into the tree's crust. Some seemed like runes, residues such as trash. Those weird Odin worshippers didn't mind eating modern-day snacks. It seemed marks on the ground and small signals here and there about people camping in places not for the general public. Like people had been actively going around the wilderness, but my uncle and his colleague, John, let's call him that, never encountered campers. Whoever was going around had already left. My uncle and his partner would always find weird stuff, like one time a cape and a helmet, and even a real sword. Someone had been putting on some Nordic cult stuff or something like that. There would also be incense and some other religious miscellaneous items. One night, my uncle and John decided to settle their camp next to a huge elm tree with the hopes of the tree covering their tent from the winds at night when temperatures would reach very, very low. They ate heated beans and rice while talking about stuff and exchanging stories. Every night, they'd use a portable radio to talk with people in the base area, exchanging news. 
At some point, my uncle's colleague goes to the trees to empty his bladder, and my uncle waits by the fire. Nothing out of the blue. The time passes, and my uncle does not hear John returning. His partner was this huge man in his forties, a chatty person whom you'd frequently hear even before he reached the camp. So my uncle begins looking at the sides to catch a glimpse of what was going on, but he saw nothing. John was carrying a lantern, so at least one could have expected to see the lights by the trees, but all my uncle saw was black. The minutes began to pass, and he called for John, asking if things were fine. No, that's when he realized the woods were strangely quiet. There was no wind, nor the natural sounds you'd expect to hear at night nothing, and that got him on alert. John would sometimes play a harmless prank or two, especially considering their line of work wasn't the most active of them all, and they spent days outside, but this time things were too calm and quiet to be natural. Things were off. My uncle knew it, so he began to ask towards the nothingness if everything was okay. Was Joan fine? Where was he? Nobody answered. Well, the wind did. It started to blow stronger and stronger. It straight up seemed like somebody was trying to settle in the atmosphere of a horror movie. My uncle then heard a subtle whisper at his right side. He tried to pay attention to the sound and pulling his body to that side. It was a man's voice, a weak one. My uncle got up, grabbed his light and the rifle, went into the woods. The fire was weak enough to make sure no accidents would happen while he was away. So he walked towards the bigger trees. He kept on asking if John was fine. The voice was slowly getting stronger the more he entered into the wilderness until he could hear Joan's voice calling his name for help. That's when my uncle stops. Something was off. Even if that voice seemed like John's, he's already had to help him once. And the times John seriously asked for help, his tone was different like the voice was the same, so the modulations, but the tone did not match. And the tone of our voices is pretty much dictated by our, our moods. This was not John. A ball of anxiety grew in my uncle's body, and he is one of the more stoic and calm men I've ever met. The certainty was there. Something that wasn't John was calling for him. But my uncle had his rifle and light prepared. He never went to the church or seemed to believe in that sort of thing, but he also told me that sometimes you had to respect the rules of the wild. He began to move the lights in front of him to the side, inside alert and waiting. If Jun was fooling around, he already would have seen it. But what my uncle saw was something else entirely. It was very tall, like four or five meters. In front of my uncle was a very small clearing surrounded by older and taller trees. The figure was a shady thing around eight or nine meters away from him. It had no gender and was too tall to be a person. The creature was thin and had antlers. In fact, it seemed like its head was a moose's skull. It was blurry at first. He thought those weird cultists were using an animal's head, but it was far too large and tall to be a person. It would have to have been very uncomfortable to walk around in that. In the middle of the night, in the short hairs of my uncle's nape stood up, this being moved towards him, my uncle yelled out as a warning. It stayed quiet and he readied his rifle. It called him with Joan's voice, but much more distorted and crackly. 
my uncle flaring into the air, then turning on his heels and running. The sound that thing made was not human. My uncle ran and ran, even though I listened to the dark wilderness, which, unfortunately, he got lost and had to wait for daylight to find the trail. He only had his light, and even that was dying. In the morning, John was there, waiting for him, worried. He had heard my uncle calling for him at night, and another bunch of weird, strange noises that he could not quite understand. When he had returned to the campsite, nobody was there. My uncle was not answering his calls, and so this is what they both believed to have been a Wendigo. I'm not too sure about that either, is he? But it's definitely speculated that what they saw and encountered was of the supernatural. Hiking by full moon light near Joshua Tree with some friends, it was around 2 a.m., we come across this massive natural amphitheater with huge boulders lining the sides like a well-organized audience, uniform rows starting at the bottom and rising the cliff walls up maybe 150 feet. Continue walking into the amphitheater, feel chilling air as if being watched or that something was impending. See a large figure in the center about halfway up, looked half rock, half human in general shape. Continue walking. Anxiety intensifies. Can literally hear and feel the presence of this figure. Group of eight dudes? Nope the F out of there. No clue what it was or was not. Never went back. Alright, I have no idea how to format or write this, considering it is my first time ever seeing something paranormal, but yesterday I spent the night at a friend's house. I will call them Sam and Bob for privacy reasons. Everyone else's name will also be changed. It was Sam, Bob, Jeff, and I. Sam and Bob are brothers. Anyways, Jeff and I had came over and brought our dirt bikes. So naturally, we spent the day riding. We had also ran to a store and picked up some fireworks to let off that night. We had quit riding at around 7. Keep in mind, this is eastern Kentucky in the middle of the woods and farmland because Sam and Bob's family are loaded with money. Since we had finished riding and it was getting pretty dark, we decided to light some fireworks. We had been lighting some smaller firecrackers and fountains and whatnot, but... Jeff had the idea to have a Roman candle war. In the middle of the war, when we were grabbing new candles, we heard a whoosh which ended up being a used Roman candle firing a shot in the grass. But we didn't know that immediately, and Sam made the comment that it was probably a Wendigo, unto which Bob and Sam get in a huge argument about if Wendigos live in Kentucky or not. This blew up and ended with resolving it with a pillow fight on a trampoline. After we were all gassed out, I decided we should spend all night on the trampoline. At around nine or ten-ish, Jeff and I spotted some coyotes at a tree line across the road from us. We all went inside because... I freaked out because I'm from a city and don't like wild animals. Also, it stunk really bad. It smelled like dead rabbit or deer. Probably the coyotes got something. So we all go inside, but leave the pillows and blankets on the trampoline. After about an hour, inside Sam tells us we forgot the bedding on the trampoline, and he wanted me and Jeff to go get it. 
I, being terrified of the dark, beg Jeff to come with me. He agrees, and we throw our socks and shoes on and head out the back door onto the patio or porch. We go down the stairs and towards the trampoline. I am behind Jeff, grabbing the back of his shirt, and he has a flashlight pointing straight. I'm looking to the right, towards past the road, looking for the coyotes, but I hear a thud sound to our left. I look over there, and there is a line of four trees parallel with us. They are shaped in a V, starting at the base. I don't see anything, but I tell Jeff to point the flashlight over there, and we don't see anything. So he swings it straight and keeps walking. I hear the thud this time. But this time Jeff also hears it. It is much, much, much louder. It's still to our left. Jeff swings the flashlight in between the second and third tree in the row and it's walking straight with us. Not at us, but towards the same direction we were going. As soon as the flashlight lands on it, it's behind the third tree now, and it stands up in the middle of the V of the tree. It stood about four or five heads taller than me, and M five feet nine. It was incredibly skinny, as in, I could see its rib. Through its skin, which was a bright white, like not fluorescent white, but when the flashlight hit it, it definitely had a glow. Its eyes were the scariest part, two big reflective orbs that were dark gray or blackish, but here is the catch they were reflective in a sense, like the eyes illuminated the flashlight back at us. Also his hands were gigantic, its fingers wrapped around the tree trucks, and they were super long. Jeff looks over, and I scream, and he just stands still. I turn around, and he is still standing, but he dropped the flashlight. I still have his shirt in my hand, and I yank him hard, and he just takes off in front of me. I sprint past him and up the back porch stairs. He falls on the stairs, and I run to the door and open it and wait for him as soon as he runs through. I slam it shut and lock the deadbolt and shut the curtains and jump back onto their couch. Sam and Bob were putting their socks and shoes on when we ran inside because they had heard me scream my lungs out. Jeff is standing on the couch, and he starts babbling and tell them what he saw, and I started hyperventilating. I have anxiety and asthma and had an asthma attack. I haven't had one in years, and I stopped carrying my emergency inhaler a long time ago. Sam is bewildered, and I started crying while I was having my fit. I cried for almost an hour and didn't fall asleep until almost 3 a.m., I woke up and packed, and my parents came and scooped me up, so I'm now writing this from my house. If you have any questions or answers, please tell. God bless y'all. My husband came home with this story, and he does not believe in Bigfoot. Him and a friend went up to Dead Horse Lake to go fishing for an overnight fishing trip. He said it was around 10 p.m., and they were standing by the fire, talking when they heard a very loud scream. He said about 30 seconds after the first scream stopped, they heard another one that was quieter and shorter. They both looked at each other and said, what in the hell was that? They did not hear it again. Whatever it was scared the hell out of them, and they went and got into the pickup and locked the doors. He did say that he has never, ever hear a sound like that before. My husband and his friend are big-time hunters.
A few weeks ago, I hiked up to Lake Serene in Index, Washington. I started late and ended up at the lake around sunset. Seeing the sunset from high up is mesmerizing. I couldn't stop looking at the vivid colors. It was amazing how the purple mountains, the teal sky, and the orange light mixed together. As soon as the sun dropped, I realized very suddenly that I had a two-hour hike back to my car. I was prepared for this. I had my headlamp, and, and I had hiked alone at night before. I was okay up higher in the steep terrain, but as I got lower and the terrain leveled out, and I could hear running water, I started to get uncomfortable. This is where the critters would be. As I passed a fairly loud waterfall and rounded a corner, my surrounding went from loud white noise to almost complete silence in a few seconds. I felt an intense chill just from the silence. Somehow it was better with all the noise. Anyway, almost as soon as I was freaked out by the silence, I heard something that sounded like a person popping their knuckle. Not a branch cracking, but a knuckle popping. I froze. I was terrified. Then I heard a thud with some decent bass to it and a breathy grunt. Then I heard the leaves rustle. I could hear everything because I'd stepped into a wired, silent spot. I was freaking out. I wanted to know where it was so I could maybe freak it out with my headlamp and yelling. I was looking for eyes glowing back at me, but I couldn't find anything. It was so much worse not knowing what was making the noise. I got very loud. I blew my emergency whistle a couple of times to scare it away. The worst part was that I still had another hour of walking through the pitch black mountain forest ahead of me. I was full on terrified the whole time. I was clapping and whistling loudly the whole way. If someone had come across me, I would have seemed crazy. I had no idea what I ran into, or if it was flowing me the whole time. Sometimes I would stop making noise and I would swear I heard it again, but I never saw its eyes. I've seen some crazy stuff in the mountains, but this simple experience of bumping into a creature in the night and not being able to identify it was truly the most terrifying experience of my life.